Let's read, let's read our passage to start. Romans 12, and we're going to just start in verse 10 and read all the way to verse 13. That's a long way, yes. Romans 12, 10 through 13. This is the holy, inspired, inerrant, perfect Word of God. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, What am I talking about? Actually, I'm referring to my childhood, right? And I'm referring to your childhood, too, with all of your siblings. Um, Let me put it this way. Does this resonate with you? It was the worst of times. I can't tell you how terrified I was of my older brother growing up. I've probably told you this a dozen times. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. But I lived in terror of my brother, especially when he came home from winter retreats because he'd hang out with all of his friends and learn new torture techniques to test on me when he got home and I would just hide, hide in my room. Uh, It was the worst of times having an older brother and being in a family. But you know what? It also was the best of times because you know what? There was no one I was more proud of. There was no one I loved more than my older brother. Because when I lived in downtown Minneapolis, in this dangerous neighborhood, if I was with my older brother outside, I knew he'd have my back. He'd always protect me. He was loyal to me. He had loyal affection to me. Yes, he terrorized me when we were inside. But when we were outside, he would protect me like nobody else. And I loved my brother. I was proud of my brother. I always loved to look up to him and point other people to him. Family affection, family loyalty. These are the certain marks that typically mark families. You have loyalty to one another. Yes, maybe you fight a little bit inside. That's not necessarily a good thing, by the way. But you also are loyal to one another. If someone starts picking on your brother or your sister, hey, you can't do that. Only I can do that. Right? Family loyalty. And that's what we're talking about here. And, and once again, to return to our imagery, remember, when the gospel hits your life, it goes down deep. It, it, um, it changes inner realities. It forms inner realities in you. Inner, true love qualities. But then also those ripples of the gospel in your life go outward. And they, they, they influence and they affect all of your relationships. And first off, they affect the relationships that are closest to you. Now, really quick, when we're talking about family loyalty, yes, we're talking about your physical family, Joel and Julia. (laughs) You need to love each other more. Reese, I mean, Hudson looked at you. I know Hudson likes to, never mind. Uh, So, I'll stop. This is getting awkward. Uh, But I'm also talking about, hey, when you are a part of the church, you are a part of a spiritual family. And the gospel will impact your life. It will stir up and provoke and produce family affection, family love. That's what we're talking about. Once again, these are the marks of the church. And these 
I want these to be the marks of our group too. I want people to come to our group and say, hey, they love people like a family there. This is, it's not a group that it's hard to be connected in. Man, it's a group that's welcoming. Like They welcome me like I'm a family member. That's what I want to be the marks of our group this morning. So, how does the, the gospel mark? Well, first we're going to look at, it's, uh, it, we're going to just see, you are marked with the gospel. You are marked with loyal affection for one another. Another, another mark of this family loyalty, uh, you put one another first. Another mark we're going to see is you serve with sweat and spirit. And uh, the final mark we're going to look at is you, you help one another home. You, you help one another home. That's what family does. Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to have each one of these points kind of as commands just so you can quickly, quickly and easily grasp the application in your life. But let's look at it first. Uh, uh, what our group must be. We must have loyal affection. Number one, you must have loyal affection. Now, now notice here what Paul's doing. He, Paul is always, he, he, he seems like he's, he's always itching to talk about application. Theology is important, but if it doesn't lead to application, it is worthless theology. It's not actually producing a change in your life. And notice, th- Paul was just talking about love. He's de- he defined love. Let love be genuine, avoid, abhor, cling to, hold fast. But he's quick here to move from generalities and theoretics to, to love that is demonstrable in the real world, in your life. Love always does that. We talked about that yesterday. And notice he moves instantly in verse 10 to love one another. Hey, if you love God, you will love one another. And this word that he uses here for love is what I was talking about yesterday, phileo, brotherly love. It's a common word to speak of affection that comes from within a family tie. They, you used to use this all the time to talk about love between a, a, a father and a, and a son, or a son and a father, or siblings, anything like that. Matter of fact, it could often speak of just love between blood relatives, uh, and so, once again, we saw, we saw yesterday morning that, yes, love, true, spiritual, Christian, transformed love is intentional. It's sacrificial. But notice also, when you are saved, you also develop actual feelings and affections for those people around you. You develop a family love, a family bond. And, and we saw this yesterday in 1 Thessalonians 4.9. I'll read that passage once again for you, 4.9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That, that, that comes naturally. When you are born again, you are born again into a family. That's why you can't be a Christian and be separated, be all off on your own. That's not, that's not, that's not being a Christian. You are, you are born again, you are saved to be within a community of believers, as hard as it may be sometimes. And notice... This spiritual family is actually, think about this, this is your best family. This is your best family. I'm going to read, well, let me just explain it like this. Your physical family is temporary. It's not going to last. But your spiritual family is eternal. So this is a better family. I mean, yes, you need to be loyal to your physical family, but when you think about it in regards to eternity, your family with other believers, that's your best family, right? That's your best family. And notice the world will recognize us by our love. Jesus even says this 
in, in John, John 13, 35, Jesus says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the recognizable mark, not only within the group, but outside the group. Are people recognizing us as Jesus' disciples? Or are they recognizing us as just, oh, there's just a group of people that likes to get together because they're similar and they just exclude other people because they just want to have their own little fun and all these kinds of things. Does the world say, wow, look at that youth group over there. They love Jesus. You know how we know this? Because they love one another. What does the world say when it looks at us? Um, Or let me say it in this way. Um, Maybe this is kind of going on, but but have loyal loyal affection. Loyal affection leads to leads to work, but it also leads to this affection that makes that work less uh, work like. Like for for example, for example, I don't really serve my family. I, I don't. I don't serve my family. I have, a, I have an obligation to my family. I have a burden, but guess what? In that, I have a joy and I have a satisfaction to serve my family. To me, it's not really service. It's not really work. It's, it's, it's a joy. And whenever it becomes service, whenever it becomes work, I'm not thinking about it right. This is my family that God has given me. That's my physical family. I don't, I don't see that as like, oh, a burden. That, that's, a, that's a joy. That's a joy that I have in my life. It's not work to me. So, we are called to have loyal affection, family affection for one another. And you know what? That comes, it says in 1 Peter 1, 22, that comes when you are born again. 1 Peter 1, 22, write it down. Because it says, when you are born again, you are born again to family affection for one another. You're born again into love. Have loyal affection. Number two. Next mark of family love that must mark our group. Put one another first. It says there, outdo one another in showing honor. Honor is a word that, uh, that in this time was used a lot for to speak of money or to speak of something that, was, that had high value placed on it. So you're, you're placing honor on something. You're placing value. You're placing respect on, on someone else ahead of yourself. You're saying, you are worth more than me. That's, that's what a true um, born-again believer does to their spiritual family. And notice, watch this. Those of you who love sports and, and love competitive games, you'll love this. You'll love this. Look at how competitive uh, Paul gets with this analogy. No, no, notice what he says here. He says, I don't want you to just show honor to one another. I want you to have a competitive sense about showing honor to one another, right? I, I want you to beat one another in showing honor. See, outdo one another in showing honor. Try to, try to do it better than others. Put more value on them. Always be trying to outdo one another in showing honor. And actually, this word is, is kind of difficult for uh, tr- scholars to translate, but They agree that it's connected, and it probably means outdo, but the word can mean go before someone or show the way. And that's where we get the idea of, you know, beating beating them in the race, right? I want to beat them. I want to show them the way. I want them to see my backside and not my front. You know, like, I want to outdo others. I want everybody else to be seeing seeing my backside and be eating my dirt in honor, so to speak. Ironically, ironically, yes. Outdo one another in showing honor. How do we do this? How do we treat someone as more significant than ourselves? Well, a few ways. You could probably think of many different ways in small group. I would encourage you to do so. 
but just a few simple suggestions. Pray for their needs more than your own. Uh, Make a prayer list, and hey, before you start talking about all the things you need, go to the throne of grace that you have the joy and the boldness to approach with someone else's needs above your own. Go to the throne of grace with someone else's needs like you would your own needs. You could also value their contributions in conversations above your own. Do any of you have the problem that I'm constantly fighting with myself, where it's like sometimes I forget to listen because I'm so busy coming up with a response in my head to the question that I thought they were answering. By the time I have my response ready for the question that they're answering, they're not even asking the question that I'm responding to. Matter of fact, they didn't even ask a question. They said something. Are any of you so caught up in your own mind, in your own head, that you're not really listening to one another? You're not really valuing their contribution to a conversation? By the way, this, this applies to small group as well. Are you just going to small group, one, to not do anything, or two, to just show off all of your knowledge? Why are you going into small group? Why are you speaking? Are you listening to one another? And here, more importantly, not just listening to one another, are you listening to what they say, and bouncing off of what they say, and adding on to what they say, are you contributing to what they're saying? Are you continuing their thought? Are you being encouraged by them? Are you encouraging them with how you are listening to their comments? Are are you treating one another in small group even as more significant than yourself? Why why should we do this? Well, there's there's many different reasons. One, just think about it this way. Um, As you put one another first, you are actually enjoying your salvation the most, right? Right? Um, all application, all application really is just applying God's word. All that is is, hey, I just want to enjoy my salvation. I know what it was like to be a slave of sin. I don't want to be a slave of sin anymore. I don't want to live like that anymore. I've got the power and the ability through the Holy Spirit to not be a slave of sin anymore, and I want to enjoy my salvation. This is why you outdo one another. I don't want to live self-centeredly anymore. I want to live for others. I want to treat others as more significant than myself. I want to enjoy my salvation. I am free to be a slave of righteousness, and I want to do it. Right? You want to enjoy your salvation. Look over in Romans 15.3. Another reason why you should outdo one another in showing honor. Another reason why you should put one another first is this is what Christ has done for you. Romans 15, 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And you could look over at Philippians 2, 3 through 12, and you could look at Christ's example. Hey, he did not just seek his own interests. He could have. He could have been right to seek his own interests, and he didn't. He chose to seek others' interests above his own. And you, by the way, don't even have, you don't have, a, don't even have a good reason to seek your own interests. Christ could have sought his own re, uh, interests and been totally right to do so. If you seek your own re- interests, you have no right to do so. It's, it's how you enjoy your salvation. It is, it, is, it is what Christ has done for you. And can, can I say one more thing? Why should you do this? Why should you seek others' interests ahead of yourself? Um, it solves a lot of gray issues in your life in the local church. Uh, just read ahead there in, in Romans 15. We who are strong 
have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. How do we interact in the church of God? We don't please ourselves. We bear with one another in love. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. One. Then verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Hey, listen. I know there's this whole entire talk we could have about, you know, gray areas and, and this, this causing your brother to stumble and the weaker brother and all those kinds of stuff that's going on there in Romans 14. There are some things that you should not be bound by. There, there are some things that others might be offended by that probably you cannot be bound by. Like, for example, I grew up in kind of a very conservative homeschooling uh, group and they made this big deal out of not wearing jeans because somewhere long back ago in somebody's mind, wearing jeans was associated with rebelling against your parents. So therefore, whenever anybody wears jeans, you are rebelling against your parents. That might not always be the case, and maybe you shouldn't be bound by that. But there are some areas, you disagree, uh, there are some areas, I would say, there are other things where it's like, hey, what's your goal in all of these things? What's your goal in religious liberty? Is it, is, is it to get as close to the line as you can and still be a Christian? Is that your goal? That's, that's not a very loving thing. That doesn't seem to me to be coming from the right heart. So, hey, when you treat others, hey, simple solution, simple solution to gray areas. Just treat others as more significant than yourself in many ways, and you'll clear up a lot of gray issues in your life. What should I do here? What should I do then? What should I do this? How do you, you'll clear up gray issues. What are the, what's the goal in your life? Are you, are you trying to be more like Christ, or are you just trying to get closer to sin? Well, that, that's why we put one another first. Another mark, the third mark that should mark our group with family love is serve with sweat and with spirit. Serve with sweat and with spirit. Or you could say it this way, be both Martha and Mary in your service. Um, I, you guys are probably all familiar with the story of Martha and Mary. It, it comes to us from um, Luke chapter 10, and it's, it's our Lord on his way to Jerusalem. He stops by his friend's house. It says this in 1038. I'll just read it for you. Now they went on their way. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. That tells me that she was the one who had a lot of money, and it was her house, actually. Uh, she had a sister who was called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Notice this is a contrast, not between an unbeliever and a believer. This is a contrast between two believers. And, and notice, serving isn't a bad thing. It's just, hey, if you get distracted at all, you're serving, where you're not serving, you're not seeking the best thing, your serving is out of a line. You can be a believer and be confused. And that's what we're talking about here. You need to serve with both sweat and spirit. Serve with both a heart that wants to sit under Jesus' feet and a heart that wants to wash people's feet. That's, that's the kind of um, family loyalty that we're called to have. Two questions for you. Do you have the right attitude in service? And do you have the right 
work ethic in surface, uh, service. Uh, what kind of service does God re- require? We see this in back in Romans 12, verse 11. It says this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be slothful in zeal. Uh, the first kind of service that God desires is an eagerness to labor. Now, once again, remember this. God wants you to serve. He wants you to have an eagerness of labor. What does it mean to be slothful? Can anybody tell me? Yes. Be lazy. Any other synonyms for lazy? A slug. Anybody, any other synonyms for lazy? Yes. Slow. Yes, slow. Any other? Yes. Slothful. Right. That would be a synonym for slothful. Um, It's a lazy... uh, Jesus tells this parable... Thank you, Matt, for taking the brunt of that. Uh, Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 25, verse 26, and he's talking about a lazy servant. And what is this lazy servant always doing? Lagging behind. Just kind of always behind the curve a little bit. It talks about someone who is reluctant. Someone who is hesitant. Reluctant, hesitant to serve. Remember that? There's this sweet proverb in the book of Proverbs. It's about the the sluggard who he's like, he's making excuses for why he doesn't want to go out and get a job that morning. He's like, there's a lion in the street. I will be slaughtered and eaten alive. And that kind of just shows you the heart of a sluggard. They will make crazy, sometimes ludicrous excuses to be lazy and self-centered. And they'll justify that with, with like, oh, I've got to just protect myself. I've got to just protect. I've got to care for me. I need some me time. I can't serve everybody all the time. I'll get worn out. I'll get burnt out. I'll get exhausted. You know what? My favorite, I, I was telling the leaders about this this morning. I would rather be worn out and tired and physically exhausted and aching all over the place and serving you guys than be at home by myself, without my family, of course, be at home and be fine. I would rather be serving and tired than be totally awake and doing nothing for Jesus. I, I would rather be doing that. I, I, would ra- I want to have an eagerness of labor. And a matter of fact, we see this back in Romans 12, 3. We, we see that we, sh- we, sh- we shouldn't be lazy because we've been given grace to serve. Hey, labor earnestly, as it says in Philippians 2, verse 10. Why? Because God is working in you, both to will and to work His good pleasure. We should be earnest and eager in our labor, right? And he says, look at that, he says, don't be slothful in zeal. Be, be eager in your zeal. Be tireless. It, zeal refers to a swiftness to act, an eagerness, a willingness, an earnestness. The word literally refills, re, refers to just something that, that's done fast and done quickly. You are eager to serve. You've got zeal for something. You, you are tireless in your service. Matter of fact, to illustrate this, everybody turn over to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Everybody turn over there. This is, some of you I've already shared this with because I was so excited about it that I couldn't hold it, but you can just listen to it again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians comes after Colossians and it comes before Timothy, Hebrew, all those, Hebrews, all those kinds of books. Sorry, 1 Thessalonians. And it comes before 2 Thessalonians. Yes, I've heard that joke before. All right, I've made that joke before. Uh, Never mind. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, Paul compares 
the masculine ministry of his work to that of a nursing mother. And that's a good thing. Uh, so let's just see how Paul describes his ministry. He describes himself like a nursing mother. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Notice, his ministry was like a nursing young mother. We've got a few nursing young mothers in this room. Some of them are currently not in this room because they are literally nursing. But, here, let's just do a little thing here. Notice, uh, Karen and Connie, what, what are the traits? What are the traits of a nursing... Oh, sorry, is this embarrassing? I'll just talk to somebody else. What are the traits of a nursing young mother? She is constantly what? According to the verse. According to the verse. What? Oh, no, nah, it's just the Bible. Okay. That is actually one of my points. Notice, notice, notice. Verse 9. Labored. We worked night and day. Amen? You guys don't understand this. You don't understand this. You don't understand this. You, you, and you, you all understand this. We labored night and day. What is the kind of labor that God wants, that God is pleased from? What is zeal? It is a tired laborer. If you are not tired, you are not laboring. That is the kind of gospel ministry that, that God is delighted to see. People who are tired. Think about that. You need to be tired. Another, another thing that a, a, a trait of a nursing mother we see here, notice she is constantly present, right? She's constantly around her baby, right? She's constantly present. She is constantly giving, right? Constantly giving, never receiving anything but a cute little smile every once in a while. But come on, let's be honest. Never mind. Uh, anyway, she's constantly present, constantly giving. She's constantly tired. And what else about a nursing young mother? I mean, really? She's pretty unappreciated. I mean, yeah, I mean, the baby's happy to see you, but it, it just wants milk. Um, she's constantly present, constantly giving, constantly tired, constantly unappreciated. These, these are the character qualities that Paul says, hey, these gripped my ministry. And this is why I had so much joy in ministry, because I was tired, because I was laboring, because I had zeal in labor. Can you, can you say that describes you? Do you? Are you growing in zeal, in earnestness to labor? Another, another quality that should mark your service, by the way, is an earnestness of attitude. And this we turn back to Romans 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. To be fervent in something means to be uh, burning up. <laughs> To be constantly doing our best in service. I'm constantly striving to serve the best. Once again, tying back over to I'm, I'm tired all the time. I'm working so hard and I've got joy in service. To be constantly trying to do our best. This isn't just good intentions. 
This, this is an earnestness as well. This is resolve with persistent work that is looking to a payoff, as Galatians 6, 9 would tell you. It is an earnestness of attitude. Um, turn over really quick to Revelations 3. Revelations 3. Revelation, sorry. See, look at that. Even a pastor can make that mistake. Revelation, it's not plural. Um, Revelation 3 is the last letter in a series of letters to these churches that were perhaps in this circuit that the Apostle John sent the book of Revelation to. Um, and, And notice how this earnestness of attitude, this ferventness of spirit, this this right heart. This, this earnestness, this burning up desire to be at Jesus' feet is the opposite, or, or kind of the opposite, of the church of Laodicea. Of chapter 3, verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Just, just look there. Notice that Jesus would rather you be hot or cold in your service. Not, not, no more of this lukewarmness, which is basically, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm in the church, but I don't do anything. Right? I would rather you were hot or cold. I would rather you didn't even call the name of Christ your Lord, but rather than be this this lukewarmness. Notice there's also in verse 17 an issue of self-deception. But I mean, can, can you describe your service as something that is boiling, that is, that is fervent, that has a ferventness of attitude? Notice this. You, you both have an eagerness of labor, like a nursing young mother. You do stuff, but you also have a right attitude to do stuff. As a matter of fact, if we turn back to Romans 12, we see, sorry, I'm flipping all over, we see the reason why you do all these things at the beginning, at the end of verse 11, it's because in every way in your life, you are not alone. You are serving, what does it say? You serve the Lord. That is why you have this earnestness. This, that's why you have this eagerness, because Christ is present everywhere and you are serving Him in everything. It doesn't matter what you are doing. It doesn't matter what you are called to do. You are serving the Lord. This applies to you in work. This applies to you in relationships. This applies to you in how you position yourself under your parents. You are serving the Lord. Why? Because Christ is present everywhere and I am serving Him. Notice, it's both eagerness and earnestness of attitude. It's both labor and your attitude. It's not just one or the other. You're not just called to be the servant, the servant of servants who never sits at Jesus' feet. You're called to sit at Jesus' feet. But you're also not supposed to be somebody who's just constantly doing devotions, enjoying Jesus, and never caring about anybody else. It's got to be both. That is the mark of family loyalty. That is the mark of people that serve the Lord. So let me ask you this. Are you serving with sweat and with spirit? Or are you sour in your service? Are you sour in your service? Are, are, do you need to spend more time at Jesus' feet? Remember, that's the, the better thing. Are you just getting grouchy because nobody is serving with the ferventness of you? You need to spend more time at Jesus' feet and humble your heart. Are you sour in service? Are you lazy in your love? 
have 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 you have you started to have you started to think, hey, all I need to do to love Jesus is just read my Bible once in a while? That, that's not real love. You need to learn about real love. Real love does things. Real love changes your life. Let's go to our final mark of family love that must mark our group. Um, help one another home. Number four, help one another home. There's this theme of... There's this unifying theme, I would see, of togetherness that we still see here flowing from verse 10 all the way down to verse 13. But at verse 12 and verse 13, we start to see Paul is getting into kind of reactive marks, right? We're reacting to tribulation. We're reacting to problems. We're reacting to people that have needs in verse 13. So he's starting to, to talk about reacting a little bit, but the difference between um, 12, 12 through 13 and 12, 14 through 21 is in this section that we're talking about right now, you're doing this with other people. You're doing this with other people. You're doing this with the church. You're helping the church. You're, you're, you're helping one another react well. Or can I say it this way? You're helping one another make it home. Make it home. You're you're helping one another kind of in their pilgrimage through this life. You probably don't like to think about nursing homes. I don't necessarily like to enter nursing homes. They are kind of a miserable place to be. I used to work for an ambulance company and a lot of our calls were in and out of nursing homes. And nursing homes were the worst because nursing homes were a place where families sometimes, not all the time, but but sometimes it just felt like families put their older family members in a nursing home because they they didn't really want to be with them anymore and they wanted somebody else to be with them. That's not always the case. It's not always the case but it was so often that I saw lonely old people by themselves. We don't like to think about nursing homes, but also because we're young, we don't like to think about death, right? We think we've got the whole, we've got a whole life ahead of us and thinking about like, hey, helping one another home, helping one another kind of navigate the nursing home life that is this entire life doesn't make sense to us. But when you think about it, when you really think about it, in comparison to eternity, your life on this earth is very short. And if you don't spend a lot of time on this earth thinking about eternity, that is going to be a very foolish life indeed, right? But when you also, you also could think about it this way. The moment you, I, I heard one guy say this once, the moment you are born, you're already starting to die. You're, you're, just, slow, you're just starting. It'll, it'll take 50 years, but you're, you're starting. Just think about it in baby Yoda years, and that will make it make, it make more sense to you maybe. But, but we are, the church is supposed to be a community of people that helps one another react and get home well. We serve one another because we've got an eternal mindset because we're thinking, hey, life isn't about just being young and having as much fun as you possibly can. Hey, life is about eternity, making an eternal decision for God and seeking those things, those things that matter. Notice verse 12, we are to rejoice in hope. Hope is an expectant future anticipation. Hope is not this kind of hope. Hope is, the, the word for hope doesn't mean like we use it in, in our day, like, I hope the Vikings will win the Super Bowl next year. That's not really based in reality. Uh, prob- just to be honest, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's, it's a hope, but it's not an expectant, anticipatory hope in the future. The hope in the Bible is, I am sure in God's sure and steady promises. Hope 
in the Bible is a surety of future things that transforms your present. You're helping one another hope. You're rejoicing in hope. Matter of fact, it says, in hope, rejoicing. Joy and rejoicing are the character of your present hope. And a matter of fact, your present circumstances cannot shake your hope because it is unshakable because it is fixed in God. That's why a believer can have hope and joy when they're being tortured for Jesus, when they are suffering death, and when they're being forsaken by all others because they have a hope that will not fail them. It is in God. It, it says in Romans in Romans 5, 3, you can, you can just write down these references. I'll go through this quick because we don't have much time. Romans 5, 3 through 4, this kind of hope flourishes in trial, right? Because, hey, the world is just showing itself to be undesirable and I just want God more, right? This kind of hope anticipates a reward. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. it anticipates a reward. It remembers what's truly important. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Another one. Matthew twenty five twenty one. This kind of hope anticipates the praise of a master. Are you living a life that is eager and excited about hearing these words from your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. This kind of hope is the kind of hope that is only produced by the Spirit. Look up Romans 8.23 later. This kind of hope creates patience, it says in Romans 8.24 through 25. Hey, think about it this way. Sometimes you get to go to church, but most times you need to go to church because you need to remember what's truly important. You need to remember your hope that is fixed. So regardless of what is happening in this world, you know your hope and you have joy. You can rejoice in that hope. Notice also what says, verse 12, also, be patient in affliction. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that it is appointed. Uh, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer affliction. It's not surprising to you. It's anticipated. Why? Because this world hates Jesus. And it's going to hate people that look like Jesus. The more you look like Jesus, the more tribulation you're going to experience in this life. Uh, verse 12 also talks about be constant in prayer. That means to be, to be constant means to be strong in something, to be steadfast, to be unwavering. But notice what that also infers is, hey, to be constant in prayer, you have to be intentional in prayer. To help one another home, you have to be intentional and disciplined in prayer. Prayer is not an automatic thing that just will happen when you feel like it. You might never feel like it. You have to be intentional in your prayer, to be constant in prayer with one another. And then he says in 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute means to have fellowship with one another, to treat others' needs as your own. Again, we see that. We basically see, hey, you're taking, you're taking other people's needs, other people's physical problems on as your own. Hey, I want to help you bear this burden. I want to contribute to the needs of the saints. And we go on, verse 13, second half, seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. This is how you help one another home. You, you are warm, you are welcoming, you open your lives, you open your doors. Hospitality means a love of strangers. Now, I've read the children's books. Loving strangers is dangerous. 
If you don't know them, if your parents don't know them, if they aren't somebody everybody knows, you stay away from them, right? That's what the child's book says to me, to my daughter. Um, love of strangers. It means love of people you don't know. They are Christians, but hey, maybe they're not, they're not in your group yet. Love of strangers. That's what it means. Basically, all it's saying is, hey, hey, seek, seek, seek out people to love that need a home in our group, that there are fellow believers in the, in the New Testament world. Inns were expensive and inns were dangerous. Just ask Joseph and Mary. didn't work out for them. They got the, 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 the garage. I can't remember. Anyway, so inns were dangerous, expensive places. You needed to rely on family members if you were going to travel. So in the New Testament church world, believers relied on other believers. That's how they were able to travel, especially teachers. As a matter of fact, there are some there are some careful instructions in 2nd and 3rd John about that. But notice also the background of hospitality in the ancient world was basically, hey, when you're letting somebody into your house, you're letting someone into your family. That's what it means to be hospitable. It means I'm going to protect you like I would protect myself. I'm going to treat you like I would treat myself. I'm going to care for your interests almost above my own interests. I'm going to take the food that was on my plate and I'm going to give it to you. That's what hospitality means. It's not that little table in our foyer that welcomes people to church. That's not real hospitality. Real hospitality is dangerous. The real hospitality is, hey, I'm going to treat you as more significant than myself kind of hospitality. Notice above there in 12 verse 8, um, we are both saved and given resources to serve one another. And notice the attitude that we have. We have that with generosity, with cheerfulness. Now, really quick, how, how can you do this? Well, the obvious application is, hey, yeah, hey, can you be more welcoming? Can we be more welcoming as a group to people outside? Maybe they're in our group. Can we just be more of a family? Can we just say, I'm going to treat one another's interests above my own? Can you be open with your own life uh, for, uh, to those people who are around you? But also, I don't think you should like take away the literal meaning of this word either. You should be open with your house too. And you're like, David, don't have a house. My parents have a house. I have no control over that. You can help your parents be hospitable. You can start off by saying, Mom, Dad, can we have more people over so we can show them the love of Christ? Mom, Dad, I'll even sweeten the deal. I will take care of their kids so that you can talk to them about the love of Christ. Mom, Dad, let me even sweeten the deal. I promise I will ask three questions to them and I will not be shy and nervous around them. I will seek to help you show hospitality. Can you make that just a characteristic of your life? That's a mark of family loyalty. Hey, I want to help you get home. I want to be your family here on earth that treasures what's truly important, what's truly lasting. That's how the gospel marks a group like a group of believers, and that's how the gospel should mark our group as well, with loyal affection, putting one another first, serving with sweat and spirit, helping one another make it home. Now, perhaps some of you, perhaps some of you here don't really have that great of a home. And that's just the reality. We are all in a sinful world. Even believers don't have perfect homes. Even believers don't have um, healthy homes all the time. But that's why we need the church so much. We need to come around one another. Families coming around families. People coming around people. Helping one another get home. But let me just also say to you people that maybe don't have necessarily a great home or you don't feel like you have a great home. Hey, as a group, 
we are after you. We are after you to show you the love of Christ, to show you the kind of family affection that we want you to experience in Christ. We want this group to be your home. We want you to experience the love of God in experiencing our love. We don't, we don't want you to go without the great thing that we have found in God. Do you want that? Do you want that to be the mark of our group? Do you want that to be the mark of your life? It's hard. It costs you sweat. It costs you me time. It costs you all sorts of things. But the rewards are so much more valuable because it's a life that enjoys salvation. It's a life that really embraces and reaches out and says, I want to live for eternity, not just this life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this Uh, morning. I thank you for the attentive ears and hearts of these students. I thank you for how much um, they are working to listen, working to write down, working to pay attention. I pray that you would help your word um, now, you through your spirit, to open our lives and our hearts and convict us of where we are short. In your name, amen.